Bitterness, resentment and unforgiveness are bad for your health. Studies have found that the act of forgiveness can lower the risk of heart attack, improve cholesterol levels and sleep, and reduce pain, blood pressure, anxiety, depression and stress. Unforgiveness affects us physically. Unforgiveness is a pandemic that's more widespread than COVID. Our world is full of bitter, resentful, unforgiving people. People wounded by broken relationships, stubbornly waiting for their brother or father or spouse to make the first move, or locked up in passive aggression, pretending nothing's wrong on the outside but seething on the inside, or else just ghosting someone, cutting off all contact, not giving them a chance to explain or to say sorry. Marriages, families, workplaces, churches, communities, wrecked and broken, ruined by pride, self-righteousness, un unrepentance and unforgiveness. Our world needs a better way. People are desperate for a better way. Jesus offers a better way. He offers something unique. First, he offers us the unconditional forgiveness of God. And then he dies in our place to win it. And then he calls us to offer that same unconditional forgiveness to others, again and again. But he doesn't just command it, he gives us the motivation and the power to do it. And if we could begin to proclaim that forgiveness, if we could begin to reflect it and model it, it would change our world, one person at a time. Let me show you how. Uh, the passage we just read, it begins with Jesus teaching about reconciliation. Uh, there in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. He's thinking of relationships within the church, that the family of God, fellow followers of Jesus. Someone that you have a relationship with has done something significant to harm that, something serious, something that you can't just overlook and shrug off. Now, the temptation for most of us is when that sort of, things hap uh, when that sort of thing happens, we just paper over the cracks. We sweep it under the rug. We pretend it didn't happen or that it doesn't matter and we just move on. But that's not forgiveness. It's not reconciliation. Uh, pretending everything's okay doesn't make it so. Overlooking something is not the same as forgiving someone who's recognised and repented of their sin. Uh, when we just overlook it, uh, it just leads to resentment. It leads to a lack of trust. It leads to pressure building up until it explodes. And the relationship won't be the same until it's fixed. And so Jesus says to go to the person, show them their fault. It's the word for rebuke or correct. That's not easy. It'll take wisdom and love. There needs to be some truth-telling, describing clearly what the person's done to you and how you feel about it. And the result, the end of verse 15, if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. You've gained your brother 
The, justice, uh, the, the goal is not justice or revenge. The goal is that the brother will recognise his sin and, and confess it. And then that you will joyfully, completely forgive him. Uh, the goal is reconciliation. The goal is repaired relationship. Now that's more important than justice or revenge. But to forgive like that, it's tough. It costs. It's unfair to just let something go without repayment. And as Peter listens to what Jesus is teaching, he understands something of that difficulty. Because rather than focusing on reconciliation and on forgiveness, Peter's keeping score. He wants to know when the grace can stop, at what point instead can he get even? Do you see it there in verse 21? How many times? If I point out my brother's sin and he repents, how many times should I forgive? When can I stop uh, reconciliation and when can I uh, stop forgiving and when can I actually start getting revenge? When can the justice start? And then he suggests what he no doubt thinks is a very generous number. What about seven times? But Jesus comes back with an answer that's really saying, just lose the calculator. Uh, not seven, 77. Forget keeping score. And then he tells a story. It's a story that shows that Peter's whole way of thinking is wrong. It's a story that provides the antidote to Peter's sickness, that provides the fuel that can power his forgiveness. It's about a king who decides to settle accounts with his servants. They all owe him a debt. The king represents God, the servants represent uh, humanity. So first up, verse 24, they drag in a guy who owes 10,000 talents. It's a huge sum, uh, different ways of calculating it, but it's maybe 1,500 years wages. There's no way he can repay that, it's impossible. And that's the first lesson that we can learn from this story. We all owe God a debt we can't possibly repay. We all owe God a debt we can't possibly repay. But notice that doesn't stop the servant making an offer. Now look there in verse 26. The king orders his family sold into slavery. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And not just part of the debt, he promises the lot. It's an extraordinary statement. He doesn't realise the extent of his debt. He doesn't realise his own inability to repay it. And yet it's a common enough attitude with people when it comes to God. People think they're not that much in his debt. They're not that bad. It won't be that hard to pay off. And so people offer all sorts of payment. They think God will appreciate them being nice to people, sponsoring a World Vision child, recycling their plastics. They think they can settle their debt with God by giving up chocolate before Lent, or by going to church, or by being tolerant of others, doing good deeds that they somehow think will cancel out their bad deeds as if going under the speed limit most of the time somehow cancels out your speeding ticket 
for going over the speed limit once. It doesn't work that way. But people who try to do that with God are just fooling themselves. Just like this servant, the re- reality is we all owe God a debt we can't possibly repay. Good or bad, young or old, rich or poor. Our basic problem is that we live to please ourselves. It's human nature. At the same time, we ignore our Creator, our Saviour. Plenty of people do good deeds, but they're doing the deeds that they choose rather than the ones that come because they're serving God. All of us are on a spending spree of independence and I know best. All of us spending from the ATM of God's patience, building up an unpayable debt. We're headed for a day of reckoning, a heavenly audit, when the king of the universe will call us to settle accounts. The first lesson, we all owe God a debt we can't possibly repay. But the incredible thing about this story is that despite the servant's overconfidence, despite his audacity to think that he could come up with his own repayment plan, the king showed him mercy. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him and cancelled the debt and let him go. One minute he owed millions, the next he had a clean slate. His debt extravagantly cancelled. And he was transferred from hopelessly drowning in debt to owing nothing. And, And this is the second thing that Christians can learn from this parable. Your debt has been extravagantly cancelled. God promises us unearned forgiveness rather than judgment. A lifetime of rebellion is gone in a moment. Jesus teaches that truth, but more than that, he's the one who earns that forgiveness. He takes our punishment so that we might gain a restored relationship with God, the one that Jesus deserved. It's unfair. If you're a Christian, if your sins have been forgiven, you deserve none of that. You don't receive it because you work harder or understand better or are more moral. It doesn't come to you because you're better educated or have a more important job or that you were born in the right place at the right time. You owed a debt you couldn't possibly repay but your debt has been extravagantly cancelled. Two extraordinary truths. It's amazing. It's why Christians sing. We really do have something to sing about. We sing words like these. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. We sing how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. 
Why should I gain from his rewards? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Now, they're words that only Christians can sing truthfully. They're words that express the unbelievable truth that we've had a debt extravagantly cancelled. But perhaps that's not you. Perhaps you look at your own life and you know that truth number two doesn't describe you. Your debt hasn't been extravagantly cancelled. Perhaps you know truth number one very well, that you owe God a debt you can't possibly repay. And perhaps that repayment plan's been worrying you. Then what you need to do is accept the wonderful truth of uh, truth number two, that God is offering to cancel your debt, to forgive your sin, and, and all you need to do is ask and receive his gift. And then you can know, you too can know that wonderful Uh, truth of lesson number two. You can know a debt extravagantly cancelled. I guarantee it'll change your life. But that's not what happened with this servant. Verse 28. Uh, There was no changed life. There was no thanks. There was no praise. It was just this. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe, he demanded. Perhaps the equivalent of a few thousand dollars. Not insignificant, but certainly something that could be repaid, which is what the other servant suggests. Verse 29, he fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Now, they're almost identical words to the first servant but the response to them will be the complete opposite. Instead of cancelling his debt, instead of paying it forward, verse 30, he refused. Instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. The servant was shown mercy, but refused to show mercy himself. Forgiveness known didn't lead to forgiveness shown. And as we hear the story, we're shocked. It seems so unnatural to respond to grace the way this guy did. And his fellow servants are shocked as well. In the story, they go and tell the king and, well, the miserable servant is finished. Verse 32. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Now that's Jesus' lesson for the scorekeeping of Peter. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? It seems so obvious. When Jesus puts it like that, it seems so natural that when you recognise the size of the debt that you've been forgiven... Any debt that someone owes you, well, it just doesn't measure up. And it's just obvious to show similar mercy. As it says in Colossians 3.13, bear with one another, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgiveness known 
should lead to forgiveness shown. You see, Jesus calls us to see things the way God sees them. He calls us to see both parts of this story, not just the second part. If we didn't know the first part, if we didn't know forgiveness, it wouldn't seem so bad for the servant to throw the man in jail. It'd be tough, but just. It'd be fair. It'd be the sort of thing that people do every day. It's natural in our world for people to seek justice when others owe them a debt. But you see, it's the first part of the story that gives us the true perspective, that gives us God's perspective, that highlights his hypocrisy, that makes his behaviour so unforgivable. And the point is that non-Christians only know this second half of the story. They don't know what it is to be forgiven an unpayable debt. It seems natural to them to, to hold grudges, to not forgive, to demand payment. But if you're a Christian, then you have uh, part one of the story. Your impossible debt has been extravagantly cancelled. And so it's unnatural not to reflect that extravagance to others. And so that's the third truth we learn from this story. Show that you understand such grace by reflecting that extravagance towards others. Show you understand grace by reflecting that extravagance towards others. Show mercy because you've been shown mercy. Forgiveness known leads to forgiveness shown. And Jesus says, whatever sin has been committed against you, whatever hurt you've experienced, whatever bitterness you hold, no matter how huge it seems, no matter how often it happens, you're to forgive heartily, thoroughly, to show grace without limit. Because the grace you show can never measure up to the grace you've been shown. He's calling us, his followers, to be people of grace, of forgiveness. He wants his church to be a haven of grace. Not that we'll be perfect, but that we'll, but that we'll be quick to confess sin. We'll be quick to forgive sin. Too often churches are not places like that, but they should be. More than any other place in the world, Jesus calls us to be an island of grace in a stormy sea of ungrace. In the world, ungrace is natural and normal. Striving, me first, resentment, unforgiveness. It's normal for people who haven't known a debt extravagantly cancelled. In the world, the early bird gets the worm. In the world, it's no pain, no gain. There's no such thing as a free lunch. In the world, it's demand your rights and you get what you pay for. We live in a world of ungrace. But I believe our world is hungry for grace. People everywhere who long to know forgiveness and acceptance and reconciliation and restoration. The world is full of bitter, twisted, angry, hardened people. 
people who've been consumed and eaten up by unforgiveness, who've been hurt but who refuse to forgive, who've done wrong but have never been able to say sorry. Our world is full of people waiting for the other person to make the first move, refusing to admit fault because that's a sign of weakness, refusing to apologise, refusing to forgive husbands who wait for wives, fathers who wait for sons, mothers for daughters, brothers for brothers, ex-best friends who no longer speak. It cripples people, it destroys people. The world is full of people like this because to, to forgive is achingly difficult. To forgive is unnatural and unfair. It's unfair to simply overlook hurt. To forgive and to do nothing in response to being hurt. It's unfair to, to wish someone well who's wished you harm. To forgive is costly. A forgiver bears a cost. It may be a financial cost, it may be an emotional cost. But when the Christian forgives, he's able to do that because the cost of his sin has already been paid by another, by Jesus. Christianity is unique. It offers the world grace that can break a cycle of ungrace, a cycle of justice and vengeance, of eye for eye and tooth for tooth. And only Christians can understand grace because they're the only ones who've received it. And so they can, they're the only ones who can dispense it. So if you're struggling to forgive, Jesus gives you the antidote. Begin by recognising that you owe a debt to God you can't possibly repay. Secondly, if you're a Christian, remember your debt has been extravagantly cancelled. Remind each other of those two truths every day. And it's as you understand both of those truths that you'll genuinely be able to live out truth number three. You'll be able to show such grace by reflecting that extravagance towards others. Forgiveness is like air we breathe. If you hold on to a lungful and refuse to breathe it out, you can't breathe in anymore. You can't breathe in God's forgiveness. But breathe in God's forgiveness deeply. Focus on his goodness. Focus on the gospel daily. And then breathe out the fresh breath of forgiveness to those around you. To a world that's breathless, desperate for the oxygen of the grace of Jesus' forgiveness. Forgiveness known leads to forgiveness shown. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, help us to understand more and more the depth of the love that you have for us in Jesus, the grace that you've shown us, the wonder of sins forgiven. Enable us to be people who repent of our sin, people who forgive the sin of others towards us so that our world might know the forgiveness that you have given us. Amen.